Hello, friends, and welcome to episode 125 of the Letter Day Lives podcast. I'm your host, Sean Rapier. Thank you so much for tuning in again this week. A couple things before we get into the episode. First of all, you may remember a previous guest, Ben Taylor. He is such an amazing guy. We've been friends for a long time. He runs the YouTube channel Pleasant Green. And uh, part of his YouTube channel is finding scammers and trying to shut them down. But he had that incredible story about meeting a guy who really did need help and how he helped him. Well, Ben is at it again. He met a woman named Chica Ordery uh, who had reached out for help. She's in Cameroon and she is in desperate need of surgery. And there are several great videos. Please just go check out uh, Pleasant Green is the name of the channel on YouTube. And she is an artist, and Ben is selling books uh, to support her and to raise money for this surgery. I ordered a couple of them. Her story is amazing. Please, please go check it out and support such a great cause. Also, as always, we love to thank our reviewers. This week, we had one new five-star review on Apple Podcasts uh, from listener Oregon Parent who I know from the username is my dear friend Jen, who I grew up with, and she is such a good soul and actually just an overall great family. We grew up together in San Jose, and she left such a kind review. I certainly appreciate it. Uh, this week, we've got something kind of uh, kind of different and kind of neat. We're, this is actually a crossover episode that we are doing uh, with Latter-day Saint Mission Cast. My good friend Nick Galetti came over, and uh, we recorded uh, with Kristen separately, and uh, Nick did more of an interview about the missionary side of things, as Latter-day Saint Mission Cast does, whereas I tried to dive a little more into Kristen's story, as we do. There is some crossover, of course, but I highly recommend you go check it out, because if I'm being really honest, we all know Nick is a better interviewer than I am anyway. Uh, so he's got that episode up at Latter-day Saint Mission Cast. Go check it out. But Kristen's got such a phenomenal story. I loved meeting her, and she is just giving great, great service that is very well needed. And this week in my Latter-day Life, we will talk about the importance of the one and how personal that can be. It's all coming up. So sit back, relax. And enjoy this week's conversation. And today, here in the Latter-day Live studios, it is my honor to have an author and a podcast host that deals with such an important topic. Kristen Reber, welcome to the show. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. No, so glad to have you here. Really, it's uh, it's an honor. Uh, so we're going to talk a little bit about your podcast and your book, which clearly you're very passionate about the topic, but I kind of want to let the audience hang out and wait for that while we get to know you first. Tell us a little bit about you. Where are you from? Well, I am from Coeur d'Alene, Idaho. Oh, beautiful. Yeah, way up north. Um, it is. It's gorgeous, really. I mean, it does have eight months of winter. I mean, my, my parents hate when I say that because, I mean, Coeur d'Alene is gorgeous and that kind of makes it sound like a downer place. It's beautiful even in the winter. But I will say I'm happy to be here in Utah where it is sunny instead of overcast all winter long. Now, Coeur d'Alene, because we have listeners all around the world, Coeur d'Alene, Idaho, known for golf courses, known for 
resorts. It's a high-end vacation area. It is. It's very touristy. It's got a lake that people... It's actually got multiple lakes in the area, but Coeur d'Alene does have a lake that many people go to. I mean, the summer is the height of tourist yeah. season, for sure. And a lot of people from Washington. Yes. And from Montana and kind of all over. People Ka- come from all over. All over, yes. That's oh, beautiful. So you got to grow up in a resort I, area. I did. And you know, I didn't really even appreciate it until I, I left, really. It just yeah. kind of was what I knew, just sure. that beauty all around me and... It's awesome. Yep, it was fun. (laughs) And were you raised in the church? I was raised in the church, Mm. yes. How many siblings? I have three younger sisters. Oh, were you the classic oldest? Oh, I I was. I absolutely was a classic (laughs) oldest. I mean, great at times, but very bossy (laughs) and controlling at others. So, And all girls? All girls. Oh, that's fantastic. What were you into growing up? Oh, my goodness. Mainly, you know, when I got to high school, it was uh, swimming, I did piano. I loved just hanging out with my friends. I was always into writing, always into reading. Yeah. Uh, you know, the typical, well, I wouldn't say typical, but typical for an author, you know, yeah. just love to read and write. And did you, did you do a lot of writing in high school? Like, were you in clubs for writing, like yearbook or newspaper or anything like that? I wasn't because I wasn't super into that kind of writing. And the writing that I was into, there wasn't anything available to me, but I did do a lot of blogging. Oh, really? And I mean, the blogging I did wasn't super intense. It was just kind of stuff on Blogger, you know, my random teenage thoughts. But I would write and I journaled. I journaled a ton. Were you like one of those deep high school teenagers with the deep thoughts? I wish I was. I was super boy crazy as a teenager. I I actually did not have, it was not a deep blog. It was more just like my random, it really was my random teenage, typical, stereotypical teenage ramblings. Probably about, mostly probably about the boys I liked, but of course I never named them. You know, it was just, (laughs) and just random. I was a lifeguard, you know, again, I like to swim. So just kind of random things that happened while lifeguarding. And awesome. Yeah. So it was, it was kind of like my journal online, but not as deep as my actual teenage journal. That's where I got deep was my private teenage journal. And I did write in that type in that actually almost daily. Do you still have do you still have your journals I, from high school? Oh, I do, but they're in a crate in the storage room deep where no one can find them. <laughs> have you ever let your husband read your journals from uh, high school? No, no, I haven't. I mean... I can see it in your face that that's not an option. I don't think he'd even <laughs> like them. Like, I'm, like, I was very boy crazy. He'd probably be like, you were weird. <laughs> oh, that's funny. That's so awesome. I See, I wish I had some of those memories from high school. That's cool. So you get done with high school and all the lifeguarding and all the boy craziness... What came after high school? I went to college. I went to school at uh, Brigham Young University here in Provo and loved it. You know, I mean, it was academically challenging, which I really, I enjoyed that. Um, even, actually, at times I didn't enjoy that, but I did. <laughs> sometimes too challenging. Sometimes too challenging. Sometimes sure. subjects didn't care for. But, you know, like, it's just typical. I just went to school and then chose to serve a mission my sophomore year, which kind of came out of left field. How was that process of you hadn't planned on going? No, I had not planned on going. So how did that all come together for you? You know, it was very interesting. I was I was taking a walk. I really needed to clear my head. There are just some things that had gone on the last year that were just weighing on me. You know, I boy, you know, <laughs> I'm not boy crazy anymore, <laughs> but I had a boyfriend. I yeah. had a boyfriend. And, I, you know, just there was some drama that went down. I just really needed to clear my head and trying to sort through it, trying to understand the past. 
And then I had the sweetest little impression come to mind that I should not worry about the past anymore, not think about it, but instead just focus on my future. And and that was an exciting thought. It immediately lifted me like, yeah, let's just leave all this stuff in the past and just think about my future. So I at first started thinking about my writing goals and, you know, because I was, I was an English major and wanted to get published and how am I going to do that? And then the thought came, you should consider serving a mission. And I, I was taken aback by the thought. I was like, what? You know, I grew up in the church, but I really never considered serving a mission. I knew yeah. it was an option, but I never really considered that before. But as I thought on it, um, another thing about me is I love a good adventure. I, as an adult, <laughs> I really love to travel, and that's one of my things now. And I was excited by the prospect of going somewhere, of teaching about the church that I love. I was like, okay. But, you know, it did take me about six months to really make the decision because it wasn't lost on me what a big decision this was, especially one I'd never given thought to before. And so um, I was pretty anxious during that six months. I really wanted to make the right decision. So six months before you put in papers. Six months before I put in wow. papers. Yep. And how were your parents with all this? Were they excited? They were supportive. Um, my dad had served a mission. And so he was kind of like you really know the realities of a mission, you know, yeah. he kind of, I mean, he was supportive. I don't mean to say like he, he didn't so doubt or anything about my abilities sure. or whatever, but he was just was like, yeah, he's a dad. He really wants to make prepared, sure. Sure. really yeah. prepared for this. My mom was like, you know, either way, love you. Cool. You're thinking about it. I mean, I never <laughs> expected any of my daughters to go, but awesome. You know, it's I, awesome. So, uh, yeah, I did come to the decision on my own. I, I did eventually decide to go on a mission. There's several things that kind of led to that. But in the end, I, I just made the decision to go. Right. Where did you get called? Philippines. Philipp which which mission in the Philippines? Ilo Ilo. I don't know where that is. Yeah, it's kind of the middle, middle west of yeah. the Philippines. I've been to the Philippines a few times. Oh, and really? I love the Philippines. But uh, only only in the big cities. That's it. Yeah. So. So you get this call, Ilo Ilo, mm -hmm. right? That's a big deal. Yeah. Go to the MTC. How was the uh, MTC experience I, for you? I adored it. I know everybody's is different with their MTC. Experience. I love the MTC. Right. For I me, didn't want to leave. No, it was like the happiest place on yeah. earth. <laughs> it was so <laughs> great. Too. I loved it. Yeah. And get out to the Philippines. Tell us about your mission. Because mm. this. Just spoiler alert for our listeners. This is a big part of your story and why we're sitting here. So yes. tell us about your mission. Uh, it really hit me once I arrived at the mission office what I had signed myself up for. Like the MTC was kind of just fun. But then you show up to the mission office and you're like, oh my gosh, all the stuff I've been preparing to do, teaching people. It's not role play anymore. This is the real deal. And I was a little nervous, but I knew I could do it. You know, yeah. I was confident. Get out there. Um, it was a huge culture shock. The Philippines is extremely different than the United States. And yeah. my companion and I initially got on great, along great. Um, so things were going well. And I was pretty overwhelmed by the culture and the language. But... Was your first companion Filipina? She was not. She was actually American, okay. but she was part Filipino. Um, okay. So yeah, her family had come from the Philippines. Right, she, was she was raised in the United American. States. Yeah. She was okay. totally American. Yeah. She knew the culture a lot better than me. And um, she was patient with me. I, I do remember that. But she was light years ahead of me, I felt. And mm. I just felt like I was so behind. But I was confident that I would get through this stage. I'd be okay. 
go on to serve the rest of my mission. What I wasn't expecting was about two weeks in, I was feeling pretty darn irritable. Just something was off about mm. me. I'm normally a pretty happy person, fairly easy to get along with. And um, I was uh, kind of cranky and my stomach hurt a bit and I just wasn't sure what was going on and started kind of just not liking the work as much anymore too. I think I really just needed to rest. I was clearly sick, but didn't know it yet. Um, mm. And that's actually, I, I ended up, you know, spoiler alert, it was a parasite and that's the typical first symptoms of a parasite. I mean, it's the typical first symptoms of almost anything. But for yeah, this, true. But for this, it was just... And you would have no way of knowing it was a parasite. I, I didn't know. And I really just thought I was, you know, I woke up on the wrong side of the bed for yeah. a couple days now. I'm kind of just in a funk. Was this a common thing? Like, were you prepped that, hey, you in this area... You might yeah. get a parasite. Were you prepped for that? We were. They they really did prep us for that. They gave us a water filtration system with our water bottles, but I lost it like the first day because it didn't sit super well in the water bottle holder in my backpack. And so I just resolved to always buy clean water, which I did. But I think what actually happened was the very first day I was there, again, just growing up in the United States, I stuck my toothbrush in the tap yep. water. yeah just stuck it in there and the sister who was with me um it wasn't actually my companion yet but she just said sister don't do that yeah and i was like oh my gosh and i was like and i hadn't brushed my teeth in like over 24 hours you know just a long flight from the yeah, United States to Asia. Thinking. wasn't thinking just wanted to go to bed and i figured you know what? it'll probably be fine yeah and you know that's the only time i can think where i drink some bad water um that might have done it for me just right from that get-go because, yeah, two weeks later, I was feeling pretty lousy. My gosh. So, you know, you live and learn. So, I, beat, I beat myself up a ton for that later on. Oh, but. yeah, but you can't – I mean, you can't beat yourself up for that. You can't help that. Yeah. Uh, so at what point did you realize, okay, this is not – I mean, look, almost every missionary that goes foreign, in my experience, you know, I served down in Chile. Okay. Within a couple of weeks, you're sick. Sick. Because you're on the other side of the world, you're exhausted, you're getting used to time zones, you're eating foods you've never eaten, you mm -hmm. don't feel well anyway. At what point did you realize, okay, this is more than just... It was the stomach cramps. It was the stomach cramps. Yeah. How that... long? How long? Like, how many Ooh. days after you started feeling ill did you realize this was super serious? I think five weeks in. I really was wow. like something... Yeah, I really... You know, and I, had I been home... I probably would have gotten it checked out much sooner. But as a missionary, yeah, I just wanted to power through it. I didn't want to be a problem. And there's kind of that mentality, right? I mean, we're kind of taught between faith and perseverance, you can conquer everything on a mission. Yep. Just pray it out, walk it out, knock it out. You know. You're going to be fine. Yeah. 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 Have the faith to heal thyself. Yes. Kind of a thing, right? There's kind of that martyr, not martyr, but you know, there's kind of that I can do this on my own thing with missionaries, I think. Yeah, uh, absolutely is. But so what was the next step once you realized, hey, this is major? Well, we contacted mission president and he put us in contact with his wife. And then, you know, we're kind of just told to watch it. I kind of stayed home for a bit, but then it got worse and worse. So I actually went, I was in Kalibo, which is on the northern end of the island. Ilo Ilo's on the southern end. It's about a four-hour bus ride. Rickety bus, by the way. <laughs> ride all the way back down to the big city. They brought us back down to the big city. I met a doctor at the hospital. And they ran some tests. Nothing came up. But honestly, things just got worse and worse and worse. I, I 
They admitted me a couple days later, I want to say. And my poor companion, this is back and forth on a rickety bus, four hours each way. Um, and you weren't staying there at the hospital. Was not staying at the hospital, wasn't even staying in the city. So Eight hours, finally, wow. Yeah, so we finally, I did get admitted. And I'm sorry, the details are fuzzy on why they finally admitted me. But I think I was just in enough pain. And they're like, okay, you're going to be admitted. We're going to monitor you, basically. And run some more tests and see what's going on. And I actually then got released a few days later because really nothing was turning up. And they're like, you got sinusitis, which is like a sinus issue. Wow. And they're like, you just got some allergies. I don't even think they gave me medicine. They just, I was released and sent back to Kalibo. And about a week later, I was back in the hospital <laughs> and um at this point they're thinking because i've had i'm having such bad stomach cramps that it's my appendix mm. and i told them no it's not my appendix now let's keep in mind i can't really speak tagalog at this point or a longo which is more the language they spoke on this island i'm, I'm a greenie and they speak broken english and i'm turning into an uglier american by the minute, you know, because I'm so frustrated and scared. When you're in pain, too. I'm in pain. Pain and makes people cranky. And they're talking about taking about my appendix, and I knew that the location of the pain was not my appendix area. And they're mm. like, well, it always, it never starts in that area. I'm like, I've had this pain for weeks, you know, if it's my appendix, it would have moved yeah. on by now. And they're like, I'm like, is there any, before you cut me open, is there anything you can do <laughs> to verify that it's my appendix? And they said, well, we can give you an ultrasound, but it's very expensive. And this is where I really got ugly American. I said, well, I'll pay it, you know. And they yeah. all kind of had this look on their face. They, they stopped liking me at that point, I could tell. But anyways, <laughs> they gave me the ultrasound, not my appendix. And I said, I said, yeah, it's not. Run a test for a parasite. And they said, because, you know, there was actually some medical books left over in the... Uh, apartment that I was staying at in Kalibo and they were like from the seventies, but I was reading through them trying to figure out what was wrong with me. Wow. And it kind of did seem to point to a parasite and I didn't want to be paranoid. But at the same time at this point, I'm like, you really need to test me for a parasite. And they're like, we already did. And I'm like, test me again. And they tested me. Nothing came back. And I said, test me again. And they did. And this time the parasite showed up and I don't know why it didn't show up wow. in the other tests. But I really felt so strongly it's a parasite. Hmm. And yeah. So where does that take you from there? Now you've got a parasite. Yeah. Major. Yeah, it was a it was a bad one. I actually had two. One of them wasn't a big deal. Um, but the other one was. It was entamoeba histolytica, which means tissue dissolver. Now, they were able to kill the parasite with some medicine, very strong drugs in the Philippines. And I, it was fine. Within 24 hours or so, parasite was dead. But that parasite had wreaked havoc on my intestines for eight weeks, unknown, mm. untreated. And so I really did try to stay. I did not want to go home early. Yeah. But it soon became very clear that I could not recover. Yeah. Third world country, but not only that, it was a mission. And missions are so rigorous. Yeah, it, it's hardest. Missions are very hard on the healthiest of healthy people. Mm -hmm. and, and not to mention just the emotional toll of all uh, the back and forth 
And my companion know? and I weren't getting along at this point, you know, either. I mean, she once she realized what was going on, that it was a parasite and that I wasn't just being this awful missionary. Because, again, all the tests were coming back negative. So she's like, what's wrong with you? Yeah, so she thought you were kind of, it was in your head. She thought it was in my head. She she has since, I you know, it's all fine now. But at the time, yeah. yeah. And she, I kind of get that because we, yeah. I, you know, I had companions who would complain about mystery stuff a lot you know <laughs> i mean i probably did it myself so right and so, that is kind of a thing yeah. sometimes you want a day off sure. so you, you fake being sick you know <laughs> all right so you finally make the decision to go home yeah how hard was that decision oh that was really really difficult because i really didn't want to be a missionary that came home early i had a very negative perception of that i didn't want to be a failure um, and I didn't want to be judged. and um, So stigma played a huge oh, role for you. Huge role. Okay. Huge role. But in the end, um, it became very clear to me that staying wasn't the right decision. Yeah. Um, and I did pray a lot. And my mission president, I remember he wouldn't send me home. And I remember that irritated me because I didn't want to make the decision to go uh, home because in my mind it was worse to make yeah. the decision to go home. You wanted home. him to send you. I so wanted you could at least come home and go, I couldn't help it. Mission President said, just being obedient. Yep, just being obedient. He told me to go home. And then, uh, yeah, and I didn't want to be wrong either because I knew this was a physical health thing. I'd already gotten the parasite killed. Maybe I just need a few more days to recover yeah. and I'll be fine. But but you needed to come home. I had to go home. You had home. to come home. Yeah. So you come home. Uh, what came next? Recovery, which was kind of brutal. Uh, now, physical, why, um, physically, I actually did heal within a few days, just of some solid rest, being at home, eating the food I knew. <laughs> sure. Being in the clean environment that I knew. Yeah. Um, I really did. It did wonders for my physical health. At that time, were you thinking, okay, I'm going to come home, rest, turn around and head back out? Or were you thinking, look, this, I tried it, it chewed me up, spit me out? The second, it, and I didn't want to admit that to myself. In fact, my friend, when my mom and dad were great, they got all my friends together. I had the traditional homecoming welcome in the airport. But my friend said, well, welcome home for now. And I looked at her and I said, yeah, for now, you know, like, yeah, I'm going back out. But I knew in my heart I was done. Yeah. I'd had enough. Um, yeah, the physical stuff was hard, but the emotional toll of a mission, I was so overwhelmed um, just from the mission itself, but also being told repeatedly that I wasn't a good missionary. That really was kind of how I was perceived by my companion, by the sisters we were sharing the apartment with. They didn't like me uh, because I wasn't working you know i was sick mm. and um they said some really mean things to me what an unfair it burden hurt. it hurt and i just knew i'm done yeah. and um so the emotional recovery took years it really did i have no doubt um, so at some point you had to say that's it basta yeah. done i'm i'm not going back out how long from the time you came home before you said, bishop, parents, mission department, whatever, I'm not going back out. How long was that process? I think it, it was a month or maybe maybe up to six weeks. I really wanted to make that decision quickly. I, I'm always the kind of person I just want to move on. What's the next thing in my yeah. life? And I also, I, I healed quickly, so I kind of had to make that decision. Yeah. People wanted to know. 
And um, so part of, I mean, part of this is a lot of what we're talking about. Mm -hmm. Uh, We're going to talk about your book and your podcast in a minute. But personally for you, during that time that you were home, what did people say that was helpful? Mm -hmm. And what did people say that was hurtful? Or, and and I, I, no doubt, we all have the best of intentions. I'm sure there was nobody who said, I'm going to say this to get you or hurt you. No. However, inadvertently, I think a lot of times as members of the church, we don't know what to say. Absolutely not. So what were things that were helpful and what were things that were hurtful? The number one thing that was helpful was welcome home. Just welcome mm. home, sister. And also, um, even how was your mission? I mean, it seems like they shouldn't ask that because, come on, the mission was clearly hard. But that actually was kind of nice that they just recognized that I had served a mission. So. If, if anybody else went and did anything in another country for six weeks, I'd have a thousand questions. It would be the biggest thing they'd ever right. done. Yeah. What did you learn on your mission? That was another one. What did you learn? Yeah. They, it was very constructive questions like that. And, um, you know, sometimes I didn't really want to talk about the mission. and But questions like that helped me remember the good. Yeah, sure. It really did. Because there was good on my mission. What was hurtful that people said or maybe maybe less helpful? Was there anything? I shouldn't assume there was something. Yeah. But. I, I never got any personal attacks like some people get. Like, uh, well, at least my missionaries didn't give up or, or whatever. I never got anything like that, thankfully. But... What did hurt was when people would be like, well, why do you think you came home? What's the grand purpose behind you coming home? Were you even meant to go? Did you really get that prompting to go on a mission? Because, I mean, you came home. So clearly you you didn't get a prompting. So it, kind of making me question. Yeah, that's a pretty astonishing question. When you get a letter from the first presidency <laughs> saying, hey, here's where you're being called to. Like, there are there are pretty big ramifications and pretty big implications in that accusation. There are. And I, of course, I was very young, didn't realize that at the time. I was questioning that myself. Like, did I really get a prompting to go? And if, if I didn't, like, why didn't the first president? Because sometimes they do say, no, we're not going to call you to serve a mission. It's rare, but yeah. it does happen. Sure. And, um. Interesting. Yeah, it, that, that really did throw me that it was one person, but. Yeah, it very threw me. interesting. I don't see that as being helpful. No, it's not. <laughs> Please don't have. Yeah. Don't question their reasons. So, so now you're back to you're Kristen. Now I'm Kristen. No more Sister Reber. You're no. you're Kristen. Time yeah. to move on with your life. What came next? I went back to school and um, wrote a book about my experience. Did try to get it published. Thankfully, it did not. I wasn't ready at that time for my story to be out there. Okay. And the book I ended up writing was much better. But anyways. Um, it probably helped you to process that, right? It writing so the book. did. I mean, I can imagine that you were able to kind of process and work through it. It so did. It was the most therapeutic thing I could have done for myself. That was about two years later that I wrote that book. And okay. it was the best thing I could have done for me. So you went back to school, mm-hmm. uh, went on with your life. I went on. How often did you end up needing to talk about your mission and your mission experience? Did it come up very often? It's, it surprisingly did. I avoided it for a, a long time. You know, BYU has so many returned missionaries, and they do like talking about their mission experiences. Oh, yeah. And so it's kind of hard to avoid, but at the same time, I did my best to avoid it. But even that, even doing that was a form of processing, you know. Interesting, okay. Just because, I mean, it's not not the healthiest. I actually don't recommend it. But 
it was clear to me that healing was occurring when I was able to sit and stay and listen mm-hmm. to their to their experiences and recognize that their experiences were actually similar to some of my experiences. Yeah. And I actually through eventually talking to them and listening to them instead of running from it realized I am a returned missionary. You know, I I can drop the early part of it. Yeah. You're a returned missionary. I'm a returned missionary. And then I was I started kind of sharing my experience slowly, slowly because I really feared that people were going to be like judgmental. But uh, most people were actually quite kind about the whole thing and they even knew somebody else who had come home early and eventually i mean this is now like five years later i must not have looked pained talking about my mission anymore because they're like hey you know my sister or my brother came home early they're struggling i'm gonna tell them that i just met somebody who came home early but they're doing fine now maybe you can talk to them i think that would be helpful I I would think that would be helpful for someone to hear. Let's talk about the book then. Uh, The book is called Early Homecoming. Yes. And so did you end up rewriting the first book or did you write a whole new book? I mostly wrote a whole new book. Now, the introduction, I did take a lot from my previous book. Because, you know, I had moved on, but parts of my story I truly had forgotten, you know. So it was great to go back and review everything but that just goes to show how much i'd healed that i actually had to go back and kind of review it yeah but then the rest of it was fresh it was i truly when i pitched the book to the editor at the publishing conference i i it it was just so clear in my mind what it needed to be i would even say it was a prompting like this is what needs to be written and I need you to write this. It needs to be a resource book, different chapters on the different reasons why people come home. There needs to be a chapter for parents, a chapter for leaders, uh, mission presidents, as well as stake presidents, bishops, relief society mm. presidents. You know, just there's little sections in there. Um, why is this a thing in our culture? You know, a chapter on that. So a real resource book. And but approachable, and it had it needs to have stories in it. It's got to be more than just my story. Yeah, so that's that was going to be my next question. Is so you've obviously got your own experiences, mm-hmm. but did you speak to a lot of other missionaries yes. who had returned early? Yes, dozens. Now my publisher gave me a tight deadline for this book. I had to write it in six months, so I spent three months just interviewing everyone wow. that I could. You know, so I probably had a total of about 32 interviews, but not only my own personal interviews, I did a ton of research, you know, Mm. from articles written, both like layman articles that are like the Ensign and LDS Living, but uh, scholarly, scholarly articles that have been written on it. Um, At the time, that was just, as far as I know, Utah Valley University, uh, Dr. Christody Yells and her team had done some scholarly research, both on parents as well as the early return missionaries themselves. So I really threw myself into the research. And at the time I actually had a newborn, you know, like this wasn't like great timing (laughs) for writing a book, but that's the way the Lord works, right? It's never our timing. (laughs) I was going to make a terrible joke about, are you sure you were called to write the book? But but I will will hold back on that. Uh, All right. So doing all of this research and all of these interviews, uh, what are some things that would surprise our audience that you learned about the experience of uh, of an early homecoming? It's it's quite varied. Some people handle it really well. They're not really the ones I talk to, though. Um, most people 
regardless of the reason they come home, feel like a failure. Um, the ones who actually handle it best, though, believe it or not, are those, in my experience, are those who come home for worthiness issues because they own it, you know? Interesting. They own it. Yeah. Um, and they are almost glad to come home. Like, they're not glad that they had to come home, but they are glad that they are finally on the right path. Yeah. The lie is over. The lie is over. Yeah. And, and they can now move forward with their lives. For them, that truly is just moving forward. And all they want or could hope for, but they don't expect, is support, you mm. know, from others. But if they don't get it, they know that they're right with God. However, people who come home for physical health, mental health, um, family troubles, they struggle with whether or not they made the right decision, and yeah. they feel like failures. And um, I'll pause here. Those who I don't mean to in any way imply that those who come home for worthiness reasons are failures. They're not. They're human beings. You know yeah, who made a sure. who made a mistake, but they are successful for coming home early. And you know because so many people don't who yeah. need to. You know, yeah. and they're willing to take the consequences to make themselves right with the Lord. And I, I they are the most beautiful testimonies mm. and interviews. I, I just, I love talking to them. What, what did you learn from, from speaking to, to this group of returned missionaries? I, I've learned so much. I think the number one thing though, that I learned was how much I needed to grow, how much, how much judgment I, I honestly still had, hmm. I, I had been prompted to actually write early homecoming for a couple years before I finally sat down and really did it and said, okay, Lord, I'll do it. Because I was like, okay, Lord, I'll, I'll write this book, but it's only going to be for those who came home for physical or mental health reasons. Because I mean, that's really the only worthy reason of coming home. <laughs> See, I had a lot of repenting to do, right? I had repenting to do. And I realized I how judgmental I was. And I remember just still like, the Lord really worked on me. He's like, well, what's the worst reason for coming home, Kristen? I said, well, you know, you mess up. And he said, wouldn't that be so hard? to come home for that reason and have nobody understand you and have there be no resources yeah. for you. And that's what really got me starting to think about it. And then, of course, now I'm talking to these people and realizing how amazing they are. And I talk to people who chose to come home early. I've really grown in empathy and love and yeah. sympathy and compassion through this whole experience. And yeah. I'm grateful. If uh, we have, for sure, listeners who have had someone that they love very much mm -hmm. come home, what advice do you have maybe for families or friends who are dealing with somebody coming home? I would say continue to treat them the way you treated them before they left on their mission. Don't treat them differently. Don't treat them like they've got a disease or there's something wrong with them. Now, there might be something physically or even perhaps mentally wrong yeah. going on but they are still in there they or you know they maybe they did sin and need repentance man they need you so much right now no matter what the reason and if you can be their support and their lifeline and reserve judgment and don't pressure them to go back out or to stay home you know just be there for them in whatever way they need you to be there for them what would you say to missionaries who are preparing to go out mindset wise I talk a lot about this, actually, like, what can we do to better prepare people? Because the expectation of the mission is kind of that it's this awesome party that you're always going to be teaching the gospel. You're always going to be feeling the spirit. <laughs> you're going to be getting such, you know, insight into the church and doctrine and miracles are going to happen. And I don't mean to downplay that because 
that's there there are moments when yeah. that happens and those are the moments that we capture and you know sell it does a book you know in, in pictures but the, sure. the, and those are memories too that's how those, i remember my mission if i don't do a deep dive if i do a glossy yeah. <laughs> sort of a recap of my mission in my head you're describing it if i really go back and remember what it was really like it's hard yeah it's outside your comfort zone. You are talking to people all day long that you normally wouldn't talk to. You're sharing something so personal to you if you're lucky, you know, if you're lucky you're teaching. Um, you do need to be physically fit, in my opinion. You do yeah. a lot of walking or a lot of biking, even if you're in a car. I mean, I don't it's know. Rigorous. It's rigorous. And you just need to mentally prepare yourself that it will be hard and there's there's really no way to experience it without getting out there and doing yeah. it but you sure. need to just mentally prepare yourself that this is going to be the hardest thing i will ever have done in my life up to this point yeah and i wasn't told that enough i don't think what feedback have you gotten from uh either families or from missionaries who uh had an early homecoming regarding your book what feedback have you gotten oh I feel very lucky. Um, it's all been positive. I only have five-star ratings on the podcast as well as on the book. And I'm just waiting for the person who, you know, maybe, you know, I did have one person email me and say I used contractions too many times on one page in my book, you know, but <laughs> I, I don't, or maybe it was like I said, his and her, or he and him, or if he and she. that's the worst thing you have, you're doing pretty well, Kristen. I know. <laughs> so I'm kind of just waiting for the ball to drop. Yeah. But it's been positive and it seems like people can really connect with the podcast, you know, because there's a variety of stories on the podcast, but also connect with the book because there's also a variety of stories. How the did the book become the podcast? All right. Well, I will admit I was looking for a new way to market my book. Okay. <laughs> and so That's I was, awesome. I was praying and I had the prompting to start a podcast and I was like, yeah, I don't know anything about that. But I continued to think on it and I, the more I thought of more, the more I was like, that's a really good idea, actually. Because yeah. not everybody who needs help is going to read a book. Right. Some people don't want to yeah. read books. And I'm like, but podcasting's huge, especially for my audience. You know? And when did you start your podcast? I started in July 2019. The podcast is also called Early Homecoming? Yep. St same brand. Yep. And people can find it wherever they get their podcasts. Yes. And correct me if I'm wrong, but it's a mix of talking to missionaries who have come home early, families. Yeah. Uh, parents, therapists, leaders. Um, oh, there's some stuff from service mission leaders because, you know, that we don't talk about service missions enough. We all focus on proselyting missions. Yeah. Service missions are great. And there is a bit of a stigma surrounding that, but we, we don't need to get into that. Like that, like it's somehow less than a proselyting mission. You man, you actually learn about them. They're cool. I wish I'd known about yeah. them. Yeah, I really do. Especially the Utah Valley Service Mission. If you're in Utah, go look it up. It's amazing. That's just awesome. So yeah, we talk about service missions sometimes. Um, it's great. So normally we would get into all kinds of other things. We're about coming up on time, but you have you alluded to the fact that you had a child while you were writing is yes. this your second that you're pregnant with this now this is my third this is your third it's so third two baby. other kids yes. and then how does your husband feel about all this we didn't even get into oh. your husband and how you met him and everything else but oh. how's your husband with the podcast and the book and everything else he's, he's incredibly supportive even though it does take time and we have a young family yeah um, for sure i that's amazing to me 
he is very supportive of it because he believes in what I'm doing, you know. It's awesome. Yeah. That's awesome. Well, I now can see full circle. And it's one of the things that I love about this show and the guests and guests like you is that I can see the Lord's hand. I can see his plan. And had you not uh, gotten a parasite, <laughs> you and I wouldn't be sitting here and you wouldn't be yeah. touching lives and changing lives. And I think that it's just so important. Uh, if people want to buy the book, where's the where's the best place to, f- to find the book? You know, Deseret Book or Amazon, you know, both of those are are really good. There's plenty of other places you can buy the book, but if you want to help me out, Deseret Book or Amazon would be great. <laughs> That's awesome. And I think uh, I think the other thing is, what an amazing gift this book would be if somebody has a loved one who comes home early. And what a great, just thoughtful gift that would be. I think mm-hmm. that if, if I were in that situation trying to kind of figure things out, because it, it is real. I think acknowledging the fact that it's real. Hey, I expected you to be gone for a, you know, a year and a half or, or two years, and now you're home. Let's deal with that reality. Yes. I think having a guidebook from someone who's kind of navigated those waters mm-hmm. is just huge. Well, this has been an awesome conversation. I so appreciate you coming in. I am thrilled that we got to talk about this. It's the first time we've really discuss this topic. So it's awesome. Oh, oh, great. We're going to finish up with uh, the question that we ask all of our guests. I did prep you this time right before we talked. (laughs) I always tell my audience we usually forget. But that question is, Kristen, what does being a member of the church mean to you? It gives me hope, you know, hope for this life. You know, like this life is hard. It's meant to be. But it gives me hope that it won't always be hard, that there will be joy in in between. Kind of like a mission, you know? It's hard, <laughs> but there are those moments of joy, pure joy even. And then hope, of course, for the next life, that there is a next life, that, that there's a purpose, that we have a purpose here on mm. this earth. And that we all have the potential to fulfill that purpose and... I mean, goodness, the gospel's huge, but I think that's the biggest thing for me is is hope. It gives me hope. Oh, it's just awesome. She is an author. She is a podcast host. She is a return missionary. Yes. And she's a pretty darn awesome person. Go check out the book. Check out the podcast. Kristen, thank you for sharing your Latter-day Life with us. We appreciate it. Thank you. And my special thanks to Kristen Reber. I so appreciate her coming on and spending uh, time talking about her story. Please go buy the book and listen to her podcast. And go check out Nick's conversation with her on Latter-day Saint Mission Cast. It is excellent. Uh, This week in my Latter-day life was rough. It was a tough week. Uh, As I've mentioned before, I have older kids. I mean, my youngest is 16 and it just goes up from there. And sometimes uh, some of our kids make bad decisions. And this week, I had a couple of uh, my kids who made some bad decisions and are facing the consequences from those decisions. And those consequences are out of my hands. And it's been really stressful. And when I look at those who are serving my children now, uh, I feel helpless And I just want to make sure everybody involved who is working with my children, I want to take them aside and I want to tell them how important my children are. 
And this goes not just for the kids who are having some struggles. This goes for all of my children. I wish that I could go to every one of their work uh, places where they work and sit down with them and say, this is my daughter. or This is my son. Let me tell you what a special soul they are. Let me tell you how much they mean to my wife and to me. I wish that I could just do that. I think about, uh, as I mentioned at the beginning, Ben Taylor and what he is doing for this woman in Cameroon, Chica Ordery. I'm sure that she has family that wishes that they could express how important someone is. When we think about Jesus Christ and how he served the one, the older I get, the more I realize the importance of the one. But the truth is, I am the one and you are the one. We are all in that need at times. And, and there are great experiences in the Bible where Jesus serves masses. You know, there's the loaves and fishes and all kinds of times where Christ is among all the people and it just refers to the people. But then there's Lazarus. Lazarus was the one. And then there were the experiences he had with individual apostles. And at that time, there was the one. And there was the time where he was sitting with the woman uh, who was going to be killed, and, and she was the one. And at different times in our lives, we're the one. And at other times in our lives, we need to serve the one. But everybody is the one to someone. And I think that's important as we go throughout our lives. And it's so easy to get angry and frustrated with people and think what's wrong with them. But I'm pretty sure that most people have someone to whom they are very important. And while we would like to get frustrated and or ignore people when they're having problems or think I can't help them, they're the one to someone and everyone is the one to our Savior because he died for each and every one of us. And I can't go out and serve everyone but I can serve one. And right now I've got some people that are really important to me that I can't serve in a way that they need to be served. And I pray for them every day that Heavenly Father will find people to serve them in a way that they can be the one and they can be recognized how important they are as they go through these difficult trials. I'm so grateful for the Savior who saw me as the one who was willing to go into Gethsemane and take all of these sins and all of these stupid decisions that I make and all these difficult things. And he said, I'll take that. And he said that I am the one. And so many times in my life, I have had so many people who have served me, who have recognized that I am the one. And I just hope that I can be that person as well. I pray that each one of us could be just a little bit better every day to look around and recognize the children of God, those that Christ died for, and try to be just that much better for them. Because I know I need it for some family members, and I know I need it for myself. And that's what's happening this week in my Latter-day life. Thank you so much for tuning in. We're so grateful for the incredible amount of support the show gets. I appreciate your comments uh, when you comment on Facebook and on Instagram. If you're not following us there, We'd love to have you there. We get such nice feedback on the speakers, and we just appreciate it. If you want to reach me directly, I can be reached at uh, Sean at LatterdayLives.com, S-H-A-W-N at LatterdayLives.com. And we really thrive on reviews. 
because it is what helps people to find good content. When people are searching for spirituality or for uh, Latter-day Saint, whatever search term they put in, the more reviews you have, the more you show up. If you get a few minutes and could leave us a five-star review, we would really appreciate it. But most of all, we just are grateful that you listen. And if you know someone who would enjoy the show, if you could share it with them, gosh, that, that just means everything to us. And that's about it for this week. So until we meet again, there is a great big beautiful world out there. Go be in it, just not of it. Thanks for listening. Mm-hmm.